Did you know that you can live a life that's even better than the highest rank your company has to offer? My name is Emily Gibson. I'm a master network marketer and a certified life coach. There is more beyond the rank. And if you're willing to go with me, I can show you how. Let's go. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast today. I have the most special guest I've ever had on the podcast before. And it's my pleasure to introduce you to my dad. He is one of the most amazing men on planet earth. I don't know if you know this, but he is my absolute hero and I get to interview him today and have him share with you some of his most amazing life's achievements. Of course, the number one is having me. Let's be clear about that. (laughs) Just kidding. Sort of, uh, dad, I call you dad. Everyone else calls you Patrick, except the people from high school that call you Pat. Say hi to everyone. That's true. Hello. (laughs) All right. So why did I have you on the podcast today? Well, because anytime that I am, you know, feeling like my business isn't going as fast as I want it to go. One of the things that I just have reminded myself over the years is I'll be like running on the treadmill, feeling like, oh, it's not happening for me. Like it's not going as fast. I'm not getting the doors opened that I want opened. And I'll be on the treadmill and I'll be like, but dad didn't even become a realtor until he was in his forties and look at him now. And so just a little bit of background for everyone, dad, you were born in Ottumwa, Iowa and I remember as kids, we would always like, some of you are from Iowa on the podcast. Our listeners are from Iowa and they know where the canteen is and they know where Atumwa is. And I've talked about how we would go back to Iowa in the summer for a week every year to visit your parents and have time and see all your things. And one of my favorite memories was going through letters that you wrote home to grandma and grandpa in college. And there were pictures of you in a band with an Afro, right? Well, like, like you were the drummer. Yes. True. (laughs) And, and I remember you saying, don't worry about the C's mom and dad. The band is really taking off. We have a hot gig this weekend. (laughs) And so that's pretty embarrassing, but yes, (laughs) I, I do remember that letter. Well, and it's funny because uh, when Adam, my stepbrother, everyone, uh, when he got married this past August, I, I got to have dinner with my aunts that are my obviously my dad's sisters. And we we were seated next to each other at the dinner table at the, at the rehearsal dinner. And I asked them, I said, was dad kind of like a wild guy in school? Because I know that I know that grandma and grandpa sent him to all these like private Christian Jesuit schools. But like. I don't really like see him as like the boy that was like carrying the Bible around at school and all of that. Like, I know you're spiritual. I know you have like religious faith and you believe in God and all of that. But like, then there's this band with the Afro thing going on. So tell us a little bit about that part of you and what led you to move to California. Well, that's a lot. That's a Big, wide open question, Emily. And also, Uh, I want you to know, Mackenzie listens to the podcast every single night before (laughs) she goes to bed. So just, you've been warned. (laughs) Okay, thank you. (laughs) Well, yeah, I was uh, always inquisitive and probably a little lazy in high school other than playing music. Um, I started playing music when I was 10 years old, eight years old, actually, with the piano and drums at 10. By the time I was 16, I was playing in the nightclubs. and. 
uh, one, one point the uh, owner came up to me and asked me what I was drinking. And I said, I don't know. Somebody just gave it to me and he smelled it. And it was a Jen Collins or something. <laughs> so um, I was able to keep, keep the gig. But um, so that, you know, I was always kind of ex- experimenting and pushing the envelope a little bit, I think, for my parents. My older sister was perfect. You know, she was classic first child. child. Yes. So, so I came up after and um, tended to to push the envelope just a little bit, but never, you know, never got into any any trouble. Um, none that's documented. None that's documented. Just burning down the um, chicken coop. Age five didn't wasn't that what happened at age five? Well, that was five or six, yeah. But that was experimenting again to see how the fire would burn and see the fire trucks come. So. And you achieved it very well. Yeah, it worked out okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but when I went to college, Jesuit, it was a it's a Jesuit school. It's Creighton, Creighton University yeah. in Omaha. Um, dorm dorm life was good. I met some um, some other musicians there. And the next time I went home, I took my drums, and so I played uh, drums with the band all through uh, college and all through graduate school. Um, and then, um, what's your degree in that? I have a um, journalism and speech major, uh, an undergraduate, and communications master from the now, University of Nebraska at Omaha. Now, what that looks like, everyone, is correcting our speech our entire <laughs> lives. I attribute my eloquence to those degrees that my dad has and now has been passed down to my children. I take great pride when I hear them correcting their friends when they're in conversation with each other. It's bad Lee, bad Lee. Did you, you meant to say bad Lee? <laughs> you can thank my, my mother, your grandmother for that oh. as well. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll thank grandma Max for that one. There you go. Grandma Max is definitely for there. Love it. Um, Love it. I've actually lost track of of the question other than you were talking about music. (laughs) (laughs) It was, you were in this band, you went to college, you were in Jesuit schools. What took you Mm -hmm. to California, right? Because you graduated, you had your, you got your degree in journalism, you had your in communication and your graduate degree and all of that. You did Mm -hmm. a band, you did things that were a little less conventional for Mm -hmm. what your family was doing. And I would say, especially for what was going on in Ottumwa, Iowa at the time. Very conservative, small community, right? Like small town America, wouldn't you agree? Oh, definitely. Well, um, so I went into the, I um, had graduated um, through ROTC at Creighton and and was commissioned a a lieutenant in the Army and Signal Corps. And got a two-year deferment for graduate school and during my uh, time in graduate school, um, I was a teacher's assistant for one semester, and then I taught uh, speech 101 for three semesters. Then it was time for active duty. And so I moved to Georgia and did the uh, advanced officer's training in signal school. During that time, this was would have been 1971 and 1972, <clears throat> the Vietnam War was still going on, but it was slowing down, and they offered... Um, a group of us to uh, go go ahead and do active duty uh, right away for uh, four years, or I could go into the reserves for six years, and I chose that. Mm-hmm. And then I was going, okay, now what am I going to do? Because I thought I was going into the army, 
Well, the band that I was with in summers at Lake Okoboji yeah. um, called me up and, and said, um, we've still got the band, new band, and we're in Denver. Come on out. So I did. Obviously, and that was the only clear choice. That was the only clear choice because <laughs> I had no idea what I wanted to do, where I wanted to live. Absolutely nothing. Um, so uh, we, we played the ski resorts and we had an, age, an agent that booked us different places. And um, I had uh, met um, oh, in Omaha when I was in graduate school, um, my first wife. And she was a flight attendant. And so she was... Um, Not my mom, everyone. Of, Not my mom. We're hearing about uh, Linda first. Go no, ahead. Number two. And, um, and so she moved to Denver. She was transferred to Denver. So we lived there. And uh, it, music wasn't paying very well. And I tend to be um, motivated uh, and by challenge. And, and the band was fun, but it was time to move on and be an adult, I thought. Mm-hmm. And so I was working in various jobs. Age like, what? Um, what are, how old are you at this point? I'm 24, 25 okay. years old, 24, I okay. guess. And um, so I was working in a meatpacking plant. I was working in a bakery, getting up at three in the morning, just doing, you know, jobs that I could kind of help support us. And um, we flew to Hawaii. And there was this guy with a red coat on board. And he was the in-flight service supervisor. And they flew to, from San Francisco to, to Hawaii and uh, had a sales capacity and a marketing capacity in addition to a supervisory capacity of the flight attendant crew. And I thought that looked like a pretty good job. Um, and so I interviewed and uh, got, got a job with United went to Chicago for the training and I had, I was one of the older people in that class and I had choices. At age 25, of, you were older. Well, for, for, for that class. Yeah. Um, because most of them were, you know, 20, 21, 22 years old. So seniority by age began. And so I had choices. I could go to San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago, uh, Washington, D.C., Newark, New York. I picked San Francisco, fortunately. So came out here and worked for the airlines until 1985. And that's when you had all the horses and you were like riding horses. horses, You had Blue. uh You had all that. Blue was the horse's name, by the way, you guys. Horses began. I had three at one time. And um, as you know, just lived... 100, 100 yards away from where I kept them. Mm-hmm. And um, we had pretty good time with those horses. Um, you learned how to ride at a very young age. Mm-hmm. I think you were three or four months old when I first put you on the backpack and took <laughs> you on the horse. And I, you remember the picture of yep. you at, uh, I think you're about two years old. We were cantering bareback down the beach. I'd we're going to have to probably use that photo for the podcast marketing, I think. I, I think Child Protective Services would get involved today, but back then, you know, it was okay. It I, mean, was I knew what I was doing. You you knew how to ride. And just, anyway, so um, so during that time, uh, 
you know, real estate was a, a pretty nice uh, interest to me. And I bought some rental properties uh, with a good brother friend. And we acquired quite a few properties. And so I realized at, at that point that, you know, that might be where I want to go eventually. But the job was just so good. You know, it was... Right. Flying back and forth to Hawaii, being the supervisor, you're living the dream life. Four days on, three days off, five, six weeks of vacation, paid holidays. It was pretty good. It was, yeah. it was really quite a lifestyle. It was, it was a champagne lifestyle on a beer budget, basically. Right. But, uh, it worked. It and this worked. is like, this is, you know, between 73 and 83, right? We're right in there. And yeah. Yeah. One of well, the 70, 75, 76 is when I started buying properties. And, oh, okay. And that's when the horses came into play. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like we could do a whole nother episode one day just about your real estate advice, which is not for the podcast today. But one of the lessons right. that one of the lessons that I feel like you've really taught me is that it's not, it's not when you like as far as real estate goes, you want to get in sooner. It's not the, it's not what you buy it for. It's how long you're in the market for that makes you a fortune in real estate. Would you agree that that statement is true? Oh, that's definitely true. And, and I had a couple of friends that uh, had sold real estate um, and I advised them not to sell it. And they came back several years, like 10 years later and said, boy, I wish I'd never sold that that property. So yeah. definitely. So acquire um, homes, for some reason, never, I, acquire homes, never sell them. <laughs> that's right that's true um if you can you yeah. can't always sometimes you have to sell something in order to do something else which was the case when i had decided that um my career with united was was probably uh wasn't offering me what i wanted anymore and i wanted more self-efficiency so i really wanted to work only for myself i didn't want to work for a corporation anymore so that was a big life change decision and, and you, that's when I bought. You met mom, my mom, right in that time. And then you also met Sandy, my stepmom, who you're married to now, um, all mm -hmm. through United, all through those years, right? And you and mom would like that's fly correct. the Kona route together and go back and forth. And then Sandy was yeah. a supervisor at the San Francisco office. And her dad was the president of United Airlines. Like it's all in there together, right? It's like so he fun. Was, he was me. the senior. Yeah, he was the senior vice president in charge of maintenance. So his oh. job... Um, was uh, the maintenance for every airplane in United Airlines and all of the substations that did the work. Gotcha. So we had a pretty significant job. So it was time for me. So um, Sandy and I were kind of like, she was the apparent supervisor. Mm -hmm. And so um, we didn't really work together until they took the supervisors off the airplanes. Ah. And there were, I think, 60 supervisors and they kept seven of us. Was that sort of like when you, so, so this is around the time when you start realizing like, I don't own my own business. I'm not making the calls. I'm not saying yeah. when, where, how, like, this is not really where I want to go anymore. And I'm ready to get in business for myself. So age 25, yes. you started for United and then mm -hmm. age 37, you buy the 7-Eleven store. And how many memories do we have of the complimentary slushies that we used to get from the 7-Eleven store. I remember... Um, hey, you, you forget the name. It's Slurpees. 
Slurpees. Sorry. Slurpees. Look at me. I'm like, it's been so long. Slurpees. Yeah. So we would get the complimentary Slurpees and then dad would let us work. At this point, I had um, step siblings and we would go into the store to help him when we were on a Saturday or whatever. And like so many memories. I remember Dusty Baker coming into the store because he lived in the condominiums right next across the street from the 7-Eleven. And he would sign the cards. If you guys don't know who that was, he was the manager of the San Francisco Giants baseball team when we were kids. And I don't feel like in my mind, I feel like Barry Bonds came in once, but I think I'm probably making that up. Did he ever come in or was it just Dusty? Yeah, Baker? He, no, no, Barry came in once because he and Dusty Baker were really, he was yeah. Dusty Baker was the godfather for, um, okay, okay. Uh, for Barry Bonds. And, um, and the yeah, one time, uh, do you remember when I got locked in the cooler and I oh, had yeah. to climb out of like, like, I'm always like, this is how you go diamond everyone. This is how you hit the top of your network marketing company. You get locked in a cooler. You can't, you can't open it. And you're like, how else am I going to get out? I'm not going to sit here and freeze to death. I literally thought I was going to die in that cooler. And so I was like, what could I do? And I crawled out in between the refrigerators. I took all the drinks out and then shimmied my way out through the bottom. And right as the, right as I'm like worming my way out on my stomach, just falling out the front. The manager just comes back and I'm like, I'm about to be in so much trouble right now, <laughs> but I'm not going to die today. <laughs> you put them all back. You were good. I did. You know, and some, I'm like, some people, um, some people might remember Dusty Baker because he was the manager for the Houston Astros who won the world series last year. Oh, okay. So he's like continued on with his career, not just, yep. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, very, very yeah. cool. Very cool. Okay. So you buy the 7-Eleven store, age 37. Now you're in business for yourself. It's 1985. You're thinking, here it is. You've left United Airlines. You're no longer a flight attendant, a supervisor, all that. Um, and you marry Sandy in what year? 1988. 1988. And this is one of my favorite parts of the story because the way that Sandy tells this story is so fun and i want to hear how you tell it and then if it's the same fun and if not then i'm going to tell the story that i remember so dad is uh 40 41 remarries my stepmom sandy and they've been married for a year and you decide to get your real estate license why <laughs> well i i had um, originally thought that owning a 7-Eleven store would allow me a lot more frequency. And then I could do a little bit later on, get into the real estate business at some point, whether it was just acquiring as a, as an investor, uh, which was the original thought. But, um, so the first, first summer we were married, uh, there was a back to school sale at Nordstrom's. <laughs> and so she went and now there's three of you. Hmm. and brought all these clothes home. And I'm going, wow, that's a lot of clothes. And she said, yeah, well, it's back to school. I say, well, okay, I guess I can handle that once a year. And she said, well, what do you mean once a year? There's four seasons. <laughs> and I said, all right, time for me to get my real estate license. But, 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 to, add on, but to add on to that story, um, I, I had been interested all along so i would go to open houses and i would and and i'm watching um people perform and do and do their job and i thought man i would do this a whole 
whole different way. I would do it this way. And, and so I thought that I could be very good at it and be very competitive um, if I employed my uh, communication skills um, because what United Airlines in any corporate, I think, at that time of, of, um, of the world, um, you know, you dressed appropriately. Um, the pandemic has certainly changed that now. Mm. Um, but suits and ties, coats and ties were what you did in business. And that wasn't necessarily what realtors did. Not all, only a couple. Mm -hmm. So all of that together, um, Sandy and I decided to get our licenses together along with another really good friend who I'm going skiing with next week, by the way, up in Sun Valley. <laughs> well, you're uh, there. You're going to have a lot of fresh snow because it's about to dump on all of us over here. Would yep. you know? Because it was probably just in California before it came and hit us here. Well, on Thursday, we're expecting two to three feet of snow yeah. here. And, yeah. uh, and, and snow leveled down to 1,500 feet. Yeah. We, we're just getting pummeled this year. And what a year. It's been a great year. So much fun great for year. the skiers. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so you sort of saw this opportunity to become a realtor. Mm -hmm. And we can... Mm -hmm. We can we can joke about how it was because of the Nordstrom bill, which we do because it's so adorable. And I love that yeah. story. But really, you've always sort of had this interest and this calling in real right. estate. You saw it early on, even when you were a flight attendant, when you first moved out to California, sort of started investing, sort of putting your money there, seeing the opportunity in real estate. And then uh, then finally kind of having that that motivation to sort of kick it into high gear. Get your, You get your real estate license, age 42. And this is really what I want to speak about for the rest of the podcast today, because so many of my listeners and my clients will tell me, I, I, I'm just so far behind in my business, right? Like I, um, I'm 51 or I'm 62 and there's just no way that I could start a new business right now. There's no way that uh, that it makes sense for me. I'm, I've missed those years. And one of the things that, you know, I was talking about with you before we hit the record button today was I feel like so many people think that if they don't make it in their 30s, that they're too far behind and they should just not even start. And so when I look at your career and what you've done and and like, I just want you guys to understand how hard my dad has worked over the last 35 years of his career. And I mean, he's been written up in Forbes magazine as like top realtors in the United States. Um, he's always like the top producer in all of his uh, agencies and things like that, that he's been a part of. And so, uh, but he's in incredibly humble and doesn't like walk around showing off his accolades. He just puts his head down and gets to work. And it's been such a great example to me, dad, of, of what you can create when you're focused on your goal. And just like you, I'm highly motivated by a challenge. I'm always like, it's a great day to start a new business. Like what new, and not, not that I like jump from one thing to the next, never being coming successful. I typically focus on one thing. I become a master in it. And then I, then I feel called and I do another thing and use those skills to, to push something else forward. And, um, so when I look at people who tell me that, you know, they feel like they can't start in network marketing, for example, because they're in their 40s or they can't become a life coach because they're in their 50s. And why why, why would they even want to get into real estate in their 50s? And I'm sitting here like, like pulling my hair out, being like, what are you even talking about? Like, 
dad didn't even start his real estate career till 42 and look at all he's created in the last 30 years. So how have you been able to take that approach and not get sucked up into sort of that societal uh, norm of you're supposed to do this by this age and this by this age? And what would you say to people that that get caught up in that? People's lives and where they are in their life, I think, dictates a lot of that. In, in my particular case, um, I kept the, uh, the store going while I started up the real estate business because when you are a realtor you're it you know you can rely on a brokerage to support you but they don't give you clients you you go and make those relationships and so um doing both for several years there was one point um i kept getting calls at 11 15 at night saying hey the graveyard person didn't show up so mm. off i go do the work and work there from 1130 at night until noon the next day and then go into the real estate office and come home very tired about five or six o'clock at night spend a little time with uh with my family and hopefully get a, a good night's sleep which sometimes happened so um it, i think the biggest challenge to be totally independent and to to work only for yourself or as without anyone else to whom you needed to be responsible um, depends on what support you have. Um, in my case, Sandy stayed home um, and was, um, you know, took care of everything in the house, uh, as you know. Mm -hmm. And that allowed me to work as hard as I did. Not everybody may be able to do that. So one of the things that I um, learned early on was to save, um, save cash in addition to whatever investments you have. Um, my financial planner, Wendell Caton, taught me that very early. And so when it was time to sell the store, uh, he said, take that money, put it in a strip cash so you can get to it because you have children, you never know what's going to happen. Um, so you asked me what I might tell someone else. What I might tell someone is your circumstances will help dictate what it is you have to do. Everybody is going to be just a little bit different. Was so that like a high other, yield savings account that you put that money into? It was just in a in a credit union. So at okay. the time, the credit union was paying. You know that at that point, it was five or six percent, maybe maybe it was seven percent because home interest rates were very high then. Mm -hmm. um, this would have been in. 1990, let's see, 90, 90, um, 95. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what the interest rates were. There. So you, um, you sold the store, you put that money into a savings account and you just let it grow. Yep. Knowing that I could then do what, you know, I, I had that security for me. Mm -hmm. So that, that's one of the reasons I sold the store. I knew that I could take that. Now I have the security I need and, and I just worked real estate. And you put everything into building your career as a realtor in the Bay Area. Yep. And yep. a lot of a lot of listeners are building their business alongside another job. Either they're stay-at-home moms, they're school teachers, they mm -hmm. are um, full-time attorneys, or um, even we have some doctors, like pediatricians, things like that. And so 
like there are times when you are, and even with my coaching business, like I built my coaching business to where it is today alongside my network marketing business. And for the first 18 months of that, I was working both just full time. And I was, it was a lot. And now that I've turned my focus to be, you know, like mostly on my coaching business and my network marketing business is so solid with all my leaders and things like that. Um, you know, it's, it, I look back and I'm like, wow, I'm so glad I did that. And it was also a challenge. And so when, when you, when you hear of like, when you think about these people that are listening to the podcast today that might be building a business alongside something that they're doing and they're they're getting up in the middle of the night with their kids where you were getting up in the middle of the night to go work the graveyard shift at the store like what kept you going during that time how did you have that vision to just keep going instead of just throwing in the towel and being like it's too hard like real estate's not coming around fast enough like just just give up now like how did you keep going well, I think you said it correctly when you said building your business, and that includes finding people that can uh, help you, um, assist you, and do things that um, give you more time to, to do the important part of building your clientele. So there's the business, and then there's the clientele. And so determining what it is that you can do at this point in in your quest, in your business, and then giving up some of that control to someone else. I never wanted to be um, on a, a company of realtors and, and supervise realtors. That's not what I wanted. I just wanted to be the realtor. Mm -hmm. And most of the realtors that I know do that. There are a few that decided to be brokers and then manage that group, and but they weren't really selling real estate. Mm -hmm. So um, what what I would say is, um, learn the learn the craft. Um, use use your formal education. Use your experience. Use your social networking, which wasn't any that didn't exist when I started. All you of didn't this. even you did not build your business using social media at all. Like just so mm -hmm. you guys know, my dad is not on social media. He has an assistant that has like put his like some real estate stuff on Instagram in the last couple of years. But like my dad is not on social media. He continues to build his business the old fashioned way of networking. That's how I've built my coaching business primarily. I obviously use social media a lot in my network marketing business and my coaching business, but it can be done without it. And it just takes you networking. And like what, what were ways that you found easiest to network with a family? Uh, I, I did a lot of, um, I was very involved in the community. So I was on some nonprofit boards, still am. Mm -hmm. um, Coastside you know, Land Sandy. Trust, right? Uh -huh. That's one of them. Um, and um, Sandy was very involved with all of you children at school. Mm -hmm. And so relationships were made that way. Um Anytime, any way you can put yourself in front of people looking for what you have to offer mm. is what you want to do. I'm not sure, you know, yep. in your business, you, you have, a, you have that down. Yeah. Um, well, putting for, yourself for in the room is so important, right? Like getting yourself it, around people that are like-minded, that have similar goals, that, that yes. would need something that you have to offer them. And um, I think you look at people in the same business, not as your competition. You this look is so at them key. as a, 
you look at them, at least in my business, you look at them as associates because you're working together for a common goal. Mm. In real estate, as a seller, uh, as a selling agent, um, it's in my client's best interest to sell their home. That's why they hired me. Mm -hmm. If you're representing a buyer, the buyer wants to buy that home, they need to. So the agents work together, the realtors work together to, to make that happen. And that's negotiations. Mm -hmm. And um, there's really no, no time for ego um, in these kind of businesses, in my opinion. It's all about teamwork, uh, building trust. I know when I'm working with, with the realtors here, um, I, I trust all of them. I can leave things on my desk uh, at the office and know that I can come back in two days and it would be undisturbed. So you, you trust the people, your, your associates, you work with them to, to build a common goal. And that's probably um, similar to, to what you do with your business. Well, one of the things I've always said, and I talked about this in the first book that I wrote, that I co-authored, was that realtors are the exact same as network marketers. We just get to wear yoga pants and you have to put on <laughs> pants and suits <laughs> and fancy clothes. <laughs> it's it's literally the exact same industry. Network marketing, real estate, real estate is the same thing. We just get to wear now, yoga and, and, and now we wear um, fancy t-shirts and- now, um, See, you, you've really- Black jeans. Yes, yeah. you've, you've, you've <laughs> taken it to a whole new level of casual, but dressy casual is still very- Dressy casual. COVID has really changed things. Yes. The um, the president uh, of our of our company um, purchased the company that that I was associated with three years ago, uh -huh. right at COVID. Yeah. And his his office attire was blue jeans, white shirt, and a blue blazer. So that really changed the corporate image of 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 what my my company is one of the larger companies yeah. uh, in in the country in a higher end um, image. So you haven't talked about image yet. Uh, well, building it, that, it, building that image. Yeah. Like building your brand. We would, we would call it like branding brand. yourself right. and building your brand. Exactly. And I really feel like as far as like on stage presence, Mel Robbins has changed that for, for, for most industries. Like I wear sneakers on stage to receive awards now. Like, really expensive sneakers, but they are sneakers. And I feel like it's completely post-COVID acceptable. Likewise. Yes. Yeah. So things that are most important when you, when you look at, um, just to wrap up, when you look at the things that have made your career successful, you said networking, you said mm -hmm. image, professionalism. And mm -hmm. um, I like the way that I would describe how you described associates to me that's abundance mentality that's cheering on the people that that you are in industry with not feeling intimidated or threatened by them or like there's not enough for to go around for everyone like i see you have that have that abundance mentality where you're like you win i win you get the client, I get the client. Like we're all in it together and there's plenty of clients for us to go around. You know, I think that is something that has made you very successful. What else would you add? I wanted to be that realtor that other realtors wanted to work with. And so the way in which you do that is to be yourself, to be pleasant, to be professional. 
and to uh, you work hard. And, and there are situations where maybe you know there's three or four people interviewing for the same property, um, or there's three or four other agents that have written an offer on the same home. Mm-hmm. But over time, by treating uh, everyone equally and professionally, um, sometimes you'd get a nod because that age that other agent on the, on a similar you know all things being pretty equal might give me or my client the nod based upon the fact that they know how i worked and there weren't going to be any issues if there were issues that came up that'd be resolved um and uh, that's i guess what i would uh proffer Trust is so important in business relationships, no matter what industry you're in. And of course, people are going to pick you to do business with you if they trust that you're going to do what you say. And so your word, your integrity is of the utmost importance. And the way that you do that is just every single day, you just hold your integrity in each in each encounter, in each circumstance that you come into contact with. So I love that. Okay, dad, what is just in closing here? If you could go back and tell yourself one thing at age 42 about what has like about one thing that you would do different looking back now, what differently? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Sorry. I was going to correct my speech on the podcast. See, it never ends. Age 40, still correcting my speech. Thank you, dad. So we're using our adverbs correctly today. We're showing you how to use adverbs on the podcast, not different, but differently. So if you could go back and do one thing differently, what would it be? And then the second part of the question is going to be, if you could go back and tell your your 43-year-old self that's going in on the graveyard shift and you're still on the 7-Eleven and you have your young family and like, what words of encouragement would you give yourself to just keep going on those times? So what would you do differently? And then what words of encouragement would you go back and give yourself that was like busting it, just, you know, like doing the, doing the grind, working two businesses to get your business going? I think that I would have made a, a little more time um, for myself as, as an individual. And what that might mean is um, uh for physical fitness. I mean, I always skied, mm-hmm. um, you know, snow skied, water ski, swam, those kind of things, but not routinely. So I think a routine and making time out. So if that meant getting up a little bit earlier, I should have, I, I would have maybe do that because it's made a difference the last, well, COVID changed things a lot for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It, it gave me time to, uh, to focus on that. Yeah, so, you swim uh, a mile I, every day, right? Well, five days, and then five, gym five. the other two days. Yeah, and this is like this is like, um, you know, my dad's like seventy six this year, right? That's right. So, I mean, he swims every single well five days, and then he then he does gym the other days. But um, well, again, it's I'll never too late to start. That's right. No, never, never, never too late. You can't go. You can't. You can't go back and recoup. But I mean, there's that's a whole. That's a whole other episode. That's a whole other episode. Like to the people, to the people that are sitting here thinking like, I couldn't reinvent myself. I couldn't, it's too late to start. I'm already this age. Like, I hope that that's what you're taking away from this episode is there's no 
life map that you have to follow because it's all made up and you get to make it up as you go. And at any age that you are, you can just start over. So when you tell yourself, I'm too old to get into network marketing, or I'm too old to become a coach, or I'm too old to go become a realtor, like, why do you want to believe that? There's just no point in that. Imagine if dad, if you had looked back and just stayed with the 7-Eleven store because it was what you had and it was safe and that's what you should just stick with. Imagine how that would have totally shaped the course of your life in a completely different way. I mean, I'm so grateful yeah. that that you became a realtor and all the things that that taught us as a family and that we, I've been able to see you completely shift the course of your life in that way and, and reinvent yourself over and over again. And anyone can do that. So- Okay. And then the final question, what would you give yourself? What would you go back and tell yourself as that, that 43 year old man that has a young family and you're going to the graveyard shift because someone didn't show up and you're, you're doing your real estate thing and it's all feeling like very far away. What do you tell that man? Yeah. Do, do, do what you love, do what you have a passion for. And, um, Remember that you have to make the fullest of the day that you have today. Um, and not to, not to look back upon past failures as failures, but as learning experiences. And that will lead you and guide you uh, to tomorrow. So good, Dad. So good. Obviously, you can see why I turned out so well because I have the three most amazing parents, my dad, my stepmom, my mom. I'm so grateful for all of the things that you've taught me and that your parents have passed down to you to teach me those things. I love you so much, dad. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Love you too, sweetheart. Bye now. Who is your life coach? If you don't have one, I would be so honored to be your coach. I've created a virtual program called Beyond the Rank that I want to invite you to join me in. We can address challenges, we can work on goals, and we can do it in so many different ways. We have group coaching, individual private coaching, and hundreds of hours of online courses and content that I'm creating just for you. When you're ready to take what you're learning on the podcast to the 10X level, then come check out Beyond the Rank at emilygibsoncoaching.com.